and Anne and uh, Kathy. And so that was, a, that, was, that was fun. I had not heard that before. I know everybody's always surprised, but there are songs you've never heard before too. So that was great. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 6. This morning we are going to look at a passage that we have actually seen twice in the past year. And you'll understand here in a moment. We are not going to accompany this passage with 1 Timothy chapter 3, though, today. Because uh, as interesting as it is to look at all the background and how things happened and formed in the early part of the church, uh, we, we, there are passages in the book of Acts that we typically, use, and, and rightfully so, I'm not saying this is a problem, but we, we pull them out on their own. And we say, well, this happened, and so these, 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 these things happened too. Okay, it's not incorrect, but this is a passage where we see that you know, the header on it is the seven are chosen to serve, and uh, it's accurate. It's, it's where we have the, the formation, the, uh, the ascent of the, the role that we believe to be the, the, the role of the deacon in the church. Yet, very seldomly, and I would say even almost in the close to never category, do we look at it in the context of what's happening around it. We tend to just pull it out and say, hey, there were some problems. This is how they figured it out. And this is how the example that we follow to try to figure out some of these similar issues in the book of, in, in modern day compared to how they handled it in the early church. And now I, I, I'm very intentionally not touching on the parallels that we often go to in 1 Timothy 3 as far as qualifications for those, because that's not really what the passage is addressing here. That might be what we address in the body and the life of the church at different times. But we, uh, you know, a couple, about a month and a half ago, Nate Templin used this very passage and talked about the role and the qualifications of the deacon. And, and six months ago, Bill Lighty did the same thing, and then we, we elected a deacon body out of this. And so... It's rightfully used for those things, but it also falls within the context of, a, of the storyline of the early church. And it, really, it, it's pretty fascinating how it all relates and how it works together in that. So turn to Acts chapter 6, and we will look at the uh, first seven chapters. And as it was in chapter 4, and we had a couple of spots at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, this actually serves as a transitional passage in the account that we have in the gospel story that is in the book of Acts. This is a spot that shows a shift in emphasis with the early church. They see that all of a sudden, it's not just Jews or Jewish Jews or Palestinian Jews, however you want to describe their locale, but we see that there are some people from the diaspora, the scattering that happened in that day. And we see also, uh, as they would say, Greek Jews or Hellenistic Jews come into the picture. It's pretty interesting, really, when you start looking at all of this, and we, st we start to see the church move toward an emphasis towards Gentiles in their ministry. And I just felt, thought that to be interesting in the whole context of the story here. So Acts chapter 6, we will look at verses 1 through 7 and have a couple of references about uh, from some other places on why these things matter. But I invite you to stand because that's going to be our focus passage today. We read it together. Now in these days... 
When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to pray and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus, Nicanor, Simon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways we, we can use this passage in our, in our church. I pray, God, that you show us the reason for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, be seated. So we're in the middle of a whole lot of chaos right now. We see that the early church is growing by leaps and bounds, as you would say. It, and the possibility of numbers at this point holds in Jerusalem alone to be 20,000 new converts to the Christian faith. In a matter of weeks, the Holy Spirit literally and figuratively has set the church on fire. And we sing a lot about the Holy Spirit today. That's pretty cool. He set the church on fire and people are believing the message of the gospel that Jesus himself came as God in flesh, paid the price and fulfillment of the prophecies, paid the price of the law, and now in his death, burial, and resurrection offers the hope of eternity and in life to empower us to minister and serve and care for needs around us and see others come to faith in Christ. Now, in chapter 5, we see something interesting happening in that the apostles have been preaching, and it gets more and more dynamic, and they're getting bolder, and it's getting a little more dangerous all the time, to where the, the apostles come out and they proclaim the truth, and Peter and John, and particularly Peter, John starts falling on into other jobs, I suppose, but we see Peter named definitely in chapter 5. And they get arrested for preaching the word of God. The angel releases them from prison... And he goes right back where he started from and to Solomon's portico and, portico and starts preaching the gospel again. These threats, these uh, punishments, these floggings are not doing anything to deter the fire of the gospel. Lives are being transformed by the truth that they are proclaiming. And so the numbers grow. Now there's give or take 50 to 60 people in the room right now. I seldom count. People tell me how many people are here. But, you know, we, we think about all the needs that we have in our lives. And what if we were to write them all down and put them here at the altar, which may not be a bad idea, by the way. But we put them down and we see that we, got, we probably got several pages of things going on. Now multiply that by 200 times or whatever it may be. Maybe a hundred times. I don't know. Like I said earlier, I can only count four. It doesn't matter. So what we find is that the needs that were, were surfacing were, were causing a, a great deal of strife within the everyday life of the church. 
And the apostles, they, they'd been empowered by the Spirit. We know that Peter himself had been at the, at the work of the Spirit through him, bringing healing to those who were sick. We know that people were coming up to them all the time. And the numbers were growing. And we know that Jerusalem was the crossroads in the area in which it laid. And that we, we see all kinds of people coming and learning of the good news of Christ. And they're coming from all different cultures as well. Remember, Judea in the day was ruled as a province by the Roman Empire. The language of the people of the mass of the nation at that moment was Greek. It was transitioning to Latin, but it was still prominently Greek because the, the, the Hellenists, the Greeks, had come through the area you know, a few hundred years earlier and the culture had, had shifted to that. These men spoke as many as three or four different languages just in their day-to-day life. You know, the best way to learn a new language, this is free, right? Is to go and immerse yourself in it. In this culture, there were multiple languages, you know, all around them. So these, these men could speak in different languages, but the language of the government at that moment, the language of the people, so to speak, was Greek. And because of that, more and more Greeks were coming to faith in Christ. In this place, we see that the Grecian Jews, or the Hellenists, the people who were from other parts of the Roman Empire, are, are being revealed as culturally different than the Hebrew Jews. Go figure, right? Anybody ever heard of some racial tensions in the world happening? Okay. Even in the Gospels, Jesus addresses these issues by going through Samaria himself. We see it in the account of his passion and of his suffering. When we see all these different cultures collide, you see the religious culture of the Jews, you see the political culture of the Romans. The Gospel has always existed in societal strife. And it always stands in opposition to the ways of the world. There's always going to be some kind of cultural issue that the gospel is going to speak through. You know, and maybe even speak to. But ultimately, our, our worship here, as old school as we think we can be, looks nothing like it might have in North Africa in the 4th century with a church father named Augustine. Right? You can go into all kinds of different traditions, and they have all kinds of different practices. A couple of months ago, I went to a funeral over at the Lutheran church close by here, and their funeral was beautiful, and it was very different than a Baptist funeral. It just was. And the thing that got me, I was talking to somebody about it, lived here almost 14 years now. I knew three people in the room. It was crazy. One of them was the, fellows, uh, the fellow whose mother had passed away, and the other one were the funeral directors. I didn't know any of those people. Even in our own city, there are people that you will walk past all the time that you may not have anything to do with. And they have different needs. They have different challenges. There are different cultural things happening within that. One of the things that, that flushes out, and Pueblo is a good example of this, is, is food, Right? You get a lot of kinds of food, and, and you can always do it good, and you can always do it bad, right? But there's all kinds of cultural things that happen, and, and they deal with these things later in the book of Acts as well. Peter, it comes back, you know, when they talk about the lowering of the sheep from heaven. That, 
that comes later. We're not talking really about that. But what we see here is that even within the early church, people who were culturally Jewish were not necessarily of the same society of culture. And these groups started looking a little bit different even within the church. And that's where this happens here. In this chaos that is going back and forth, people coming to Christ, we see all kinds of people who don't look like the person that you might have expected coming to Christ. Oh, no. Right? In these days, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the daily distribution is basically, that's the word why we we pull out this picture of the deacons. Distribution could be the service of the, the people. The people were being cared for by the church. There were, at this point, 12 people on the apostles list and there were 20,000 needing some food. Now, I don't know about you, but that math makes my head hurt. And that seems like it might take a lot of time. But they also see that there is a greater need, not that that's that's not an unimportant thing, but there is a greater need than caring for just this particular Uh, sect of the people, the Hellenistic widows, the Greek widows. There's the need that they are proclaiming the gospel because how are they getting these people? No, that's not it. How are they getting them? They're witnessing to them. They're preaching. They're proclaiming the truth. And because of this, this ministry of the word that we come back to, we find that there are needs that aren't being met. So, they find some godly people to deal with it. The twelve, it says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, there's been all kinds of speculation. Preachers really like this verse, by the way. I mean, I've listened to several messages about this. Like, and one of the funny parts about this, I like to listen to how other people preach it. I seldom, I don't script anything. So, you know, if if you hear somebody saying what I said, it's either accidental or they're copying me. Okay, more likely the first than the second. Anyway, what we see is that what I found is that it's really hard to find sermons on Acts chapter five beyond Ananias and Sapphira. They really like Ananias and Sapphira. But after that, finding some recordings to listen to and things like that has been kind of hard. All kinds of things on Acts chapter 6. Piles and piles. And every one of them, the preachers really focus on that one right there. That we shouldn't give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Man, they like it. Here's the thing. Is that both of the things are important. The priority of eternity takes over the temporary, though. And that's where we come into the servants in the church. And it doesn't mean that whoever is the preacher or the apostle shouldn't serve. Somebody said to me, and I kind of got all over them the first year or so I was here, I was doing something that 
I don't know, something around the building. I like to get my hands dirty. I'm not really good at fixing things, but I sure like to try, okay? And somebody says to me, that's beneath you. And I, I said, don't ever say that to me again. And I probably didn't say it very nicely. Anyway, uh, we are not, there is no person here that is above any task. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, okay, there is no person above any task. The tasks may be ranked. We might see, yeah, we, we have this time on Sunday morning that's important that we gather and we hear and we worship the Lord and we hear his word. But all of us are called to follow Christ and Christ served. So the problem was they had too much to do. The problem was not what they were doing. It was just there's too much of it. And that's actually a good problem to have. Did you know that the bigger an organization gets, the harder it gets to manage? I tell you what, Allison and I were married 10 years before we had kids. And we only have two. But it's a lot more work now than it was 13 years ago. Not saying it's bad. Enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot more work than it was then. And there are people who can say two. <laughs> just two. Okay, so anyway, and they're in this room at this moment. Okay, so anyway, um, that the fact is, is that the bigger anything gets, the more work it's going to take. The more work it takes, one of two things will happen. Number one, people will pick up the slack. Or number two, it's going to fall away and things are going to start looking like they, like they have. Okay? So they recognized the issue. And they said, let's find some help. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we'll appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, uh, verse 3, it says that the men that they choose, the men they chose out of this moment, weren't just anybody. And we're going to find out quickly that two of the guys in this list have a major role in what happens in the, in the early church in the book of Acts. Huge. It's about to turn real fast on Stephen if you've read chapter 5. But we see that God still wants those who serve him to have two characteristics, to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In order to be full of the Spirit, you need to be a believer. You need to have trust Christ in your, as your Savior. In order to have wisdom, you need to be in the Word. All right? You can go through some experiences in life, but I have found that if, if you read about other people's mistakes, you might not make as many on your own. Okay? You need to be in the Word. These are the qualifications. That, they're simple qualifications, really. And what are they doing? They're doing things that matter. People need to be cared for. Remember, there weren't, the, to the measure they are today, we didn't have 401ks and Social Security to help take care of people in need. 
they were sharing, they were ministering to one another, and they were particularly looking at the needs of the Hellenistic widows, the Greek widows here in the church. So, verse 4 is actually a pretty controversial passage, among scholars at least. Some of you may not even realize why, but it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. A lot of scholars, and scholars, you know, they write a lot of things that help me sleep very well. But one of the questions they ask is, what exactly were they doing in prayer and ministry to the Word? It might be what you say about me. What exactly is he doing? But in this case, there were a couple of different things. First of all, we could see Peter and John ministering in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the areas around to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that did not exist at this moment in history was the New Testament's. They're proclaiming Christ fulfilled from the scriptures that they hold in their hand, and that would be what we call the Old Testament. It has been speculated, and there's probably some truth to it, maybe not completely, that may not have been completely filled out here, but the reason that they decided to take a step back from all of the manual labor is because they needed to write down what Christ had said to them in their ministry. And so if I'm, if I'm 2,000 years later, I think that's a pretty important choice to make. Does that make sense? If you don't have the Gospels written down, these guys walked with Jesus, and if you watch The Chosen, you see Matthew and John writing everything down along the way, right? But they're putting together what we hold in our hands as the Gospels. This is before Paul. We're going to hear about him at the end of chapter 7 we see that, 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 that some things needed to happen and they had to pick and choose at times what they were going to be involved in. And the fact is, proclamation of the gospel is always of priority. Because how will people know if they've never heard? I think Romans ten seventeen says that. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is important for the church to feast on the Word. And that's why your Bible, studies classes, Bible study classes matter. That's why your personal friendships and people and accountability matter. That's why worshiping together and hearing from the Word of God matter. All these things matter. So these things come together to the point where the apostles pick out seven people who will serve. And, and, and the names are, are interesting here. Uh, verse 5, it says, and they, they, This pleased the whole gathering. That must have been the Spirit of God at work. <laughs> and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Okay, these are the two guys we hear about. The other five guys fade into the woodwork. I can't do two divided by seven in my head. It's somewhere around 30%. Okay? 70% of the people faded away. You know, hear their names again, and they're hard to, hard to say. Timon, Procurus, Nick, Nicanor, no, see, I don't even remember now. Nicanor. Two Nicks in there. One's Nicanor, one's Nicholas. All right, But we see that they're all Greek names. 
Now there is a Philip that is in the, in the list with the apostles, with the disciples. Are these two guys the same guy? I have a very in-depth answer for you on that. <laughs> Chances are there's more than one guy named Philip around. Okay. But what we do know is that all seven of these names are Greek names. <coughs> Pardon me. So the ministry now goes beyond the Jewish people into the Gentiles. <coughs> Goodness, sorry. That's a shift. Because up to this point, the Jewish faith, I'm sorry, the Christian faith, the way or the life, as they've called it a couple of different times, it's viewed as a, as a section a, a sect of the Jewish faith. And that's how the Romans had viewed it. And they viewed, that's how they viewed this whole thing with Jesus in the first place. And remember, Gamaliel says at the end of chapter 2, or chapter 5, right before where we are right now, he says, let's leave them alone. Because it's of, it's a, if it's of God, we can't stop it anyway. By the way, guys, if it's of God, you can't stop it. If God is doing the work, trust Him to keep doing it. Sometimes we're just holding on for dear life. And that's what's happening right here, okay? God's doing some amazing things, and the apostles and, the, and what we call the deacons are like, okay, okay, all right, feel the G's, right? Sorry, okay. Um, but we see, feel God's hand at work. We see these guys come together. They sat before the apostles, they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. These people matter, both the ones who are listed here and the one they, ones they serve, and they matter in the scriptures. And I got two, two verses to reflect that, and I think they can be on the screen. If I, if I did my job right, they're going to be on the screen, but I'm going to open my Bible there. Psalm number 68, verse 5, says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God cares for those who have nothing. God provides for everyone who trusts in him. God even provides for people who don't trust in him. It's pretty cool. And then in James chapter 1, verse 27, James is actually believed to be, if not the oldest, one of the oldest uh, writings in the New Testament. It is at the end of the New Testament. The New Testament is not in chronological order, okay? But it's in the end of the New Testament. James is thought to be an early book. It's thought to be written by the brother of our Lord, who later in the book of Acts is called the brother of our Lord and the head of the early church in Jerusalem. But James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These things matter. Caring for the people around us is important. Paying attention to the hardship is necessary. We need to work to, to meet the good uh, to, to uh, meet the needs of those who don't have. And in our day, it looks different than it did 2,000 years ago. But those people still exist. You have the haves and the have-nots. And in America, we have a lot of have. And we expect a lot of have. We, frankly, are pretty entitled 
to a lot of have. But there's still people in need, and there's still people. But the greatest need is their eternal destiny. And that's where these two needs collide. And that's why the church exists, is to help with both. Because one points to the next. It's hard to get people to see their need if their bellies are empty. The church should be about ministering to needs in the community, looking out and saying, how can we help? And friends, I know how hard it is when it's always just in your face all the time. It's hard to believe who is right and who isn't. And it's hard to think you're not being deceived. But as you think about that person you might walk past at the grocery store or, at, or drive past at the corner, think about everything that you do have and think, do I, if that person's genuinely in need, what, what am I doing about it? Because really, if they're deceiving you, it's their problem. We are called to do what's, what's at hand here. But we're also to be intentional about it. We should be ready to do it. That's what, the, that's what this is all about. This whole passage. In the midst of all this chaos, the early church is saying, we need to be ready to serve. We need to look at the needs around us and say, I can help with that. And so they brought these men together and they set them before and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We follow those kinds of traditions even today. As we, uh, in, in our tradition, typically even ordain deacons, we lay hands and send them there. And we take seriously the, the full of wisdom in the spirit in the, the, to, that we find in verse 3. We take those things very seriously. Why? Because God's word started it that way. We always need to be leaning back on God's word. So what is the result? What was the beginning? Verse 1, it says, Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, it says there, a complaint arose. In verse 7, it says, The word of God continued to increase. Here's the thing about the church, is that God has given us all hearts, and he has given us all brains and eyeballs. When you see needs around you, there's no reason that we can't work to meet some of them. Are we personally, even as a, as a church body, going to be able to meet every need in our community? Not likely. But we can be about proclamation of the gospel for that need of fulfillment in eternity. And that reflects out in how we serve. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, uh-oh, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How did that change things in Jerusalem downtown? That the priests became obedient to it. God is at work doing amazing things in these people, and they're realizing that the need is greater than they ever could have imagined. 
So friends, as we look at this passage, we want to raise up people in our church to be leaders, to be teachers. There's two men in here that qualify as evangelists later in the book of Acts. Stephen does immediately. Turn the page. Mine ends at chapter 7, or verse 7 here. Turn the page, it says, Stephen is seized. You know, that seems to be, it's like the guy on the pro sports team that signs the ridiculous contract and in the preseason he blows out his knee. Right? $50 million, which I can't even fathom right now. <laughs> Lands wrong. Slips in the bathroom. Season's over. Right? That's the way we feel when it comes to here, this. But what we find is that the proclamation of the gospel, ultimately here on the blood of the martyrs, that the faith is proclaimed. Because at the end of chapter 7, we see that there's a guy named Saul who stood approving of Stephen's death. I'll come back to that in a couple weeks. But that guy turns out to be a pretty important guy in the New Testament. Obedience to the Word of God will draw us into places we never expect. And we need to be bold and faithful. Not obnoxious, but we need to be firm in saying this is truth. And I'm not going to chase that rabbit right now because it's 11.58 and we have to do something afterwards here. But guys, this world needs truth. Be in the Word. God is doing amazing things and He calls out individuals to fulfill special roles in that. But everybody matters. Everybody matters. Don't think of yourself as I'm not an apostle or I'm not a deacon, so I don't matter. Who were they serving? The poorest of the poor. Everyone matters. Everyone needs Christ. The, the culmination of this passage here is a renewed focus in the early church, and it wasn't a hard refocus here, but on evangelism, about telling people about Jesus. And it shifts from the Jewish community to more of the Gentile community. You know what? I'm glad it did. You know why? Because I'm very Gentile. It's important. This is not condemning any people. It's saying that we need to recognize the needs before us. So look at the world around you. You may not be able to make a huge dent in all of Pueblo, but there's people in your, your realm of influence that if you proclaim the gospel to them, it would change a whole lot of things. And I'm not called to believe for the person I proclaim to. I'm called to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So trust Him. Trust in the Lord Jesus today as your heart, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do what He said to do next, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? If it's a yes, look around and for the ways that you can serve Him. Let's pray. Our Lord, you're good to us. Thank you for your hand at work within the church. Thank you for your 